that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly You get stuffed with ravioli If your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani, and welcome back to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola, and this week we're airing part two of our Italian-American Heritage Month celebration live Q&A episode with our friends from the New Neighborhood Membership Group here at the Italian-American Podcast. For those of you who haven't listened, two weeks ago we aired part one. I highly recommend if you haven't heard it, you go back and listen, because obviously in the course of this episode we're going to refer to a bunch of what we spoke about in the last episode and if you did listen, we hope you enjoyed it. That first half was certainly a little bit more controlled than this one. We had some great questions from the audience and a lot of thoughtful queries that led us down some very interesting paths. Uh, this one was the second half of what was supposed to be about an hour of live Q&A, and we ended up going about two hours plus. So as you can imagine here at the Italian-American Podcast, for that much time, the wheels start to come off a little bit, and uh, it becomes one of our signature rambling explorations of everything Italian-American. So we're going to answer some questions. We're going to share a lot of interesting stories and personal experiences and just go off into the wonderful tangents that we love to explore around the Italian-American heritage and culture that we love so much here at the Italian-American Podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoy. And without further ado, we'll go right in to the second half of our live Q&A with our friends from the new neighborhood. Um, all right, let's see what Stephanie's sending me here. Frankie Burns is next. Frankie, you on? Hi, how you doing? Great, Hi. welcome. Hi, Frank, how are you? Nice to have you here tonight. Good, good. That was very professional, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> He's currently looking for a genealogical question and a square spring pan, so, you know. By the time this is over, I'll have the, squ- the spring pan, so. Yes. Keep laughing, John. Keep laughing. <laughs> I'll make it happen. All right, Frank, what do you got for us? Uh, so I grew up a lot like Janet because my dad didn't get tenure at Fordham, actually. So they moved to Idaho and Indiana where I grew up. Um, sometimes I don't know the basics. Sometimes things I thought were family things are were actually Italian. Like I thought rice balls from, were from like Betty Crocker. I didn't like, <laughs> find that out till it became trendy. Um, but I was wondering like how big your Sunday dinners were growing up. Um, kind of all you guys, I know you're different, you know, first generation and third generation just how big the normal ones were and then maybe how big the holidays were. I just have like no context since everything was flying or driving to see family and it was a holiday always or tragedy or something. So yeah, just I didn't have normal neighborhood experience ever. Well, let me say something to you. First of all, I have found, and this is the anthropologist in me coming out and I'm very um, adamant about this. I was adamant about it in my career in organized Italian American community, I'm even more so here on a platform where we have people like yourself who I find a surprising amount of the audience is learning stuff from us, you know, traditions and things. Um, I'm very defensive about the fact that nobody should feel like they have had an abnormal Italian American experience because normal is non-existent in anything, particularly in an ethnic experience. So first and foremost, I'm learning things now that my family did that I thought were, you know, 
stuff we'd picked up recently or things that I took for granted that I thought were in family, words that I didn't understand. And in conversations like this with these guys and in conversations with others, I learned stuff that has a, a deeper social history too. So it's amazing how much your past impacts you even today when you don't know it. So I think that's a beautiful part of the show. If I can answer your question first, for me growing up, we moved out of our neighborhood in Brooklyn into the suburbs of New Jersey, and we happened to find the only town in New Jersey with no other Italians. So that's probably the trauma that made me do this for a living that I referenced earlier. <laughs> and we moved to that town because my aunt, uh, she moved there first. So we followed her. And then my grandparents were like completely lost without us in the same house. So they followed us. And then my other uncle came and then my dad's two cousins moved out. And by the time I was there for a couple of years, much of my dad's family was living within a mile radius. So we would go to my grandparents every Sunday. And, you know, in my mind's eye, it probably feels a lot bigger and more over the top than it really was. But I can say, you know, it was an immediate family, my dad's whole family and some of our cousins. And it was not a big house, but all the adults would be sitting in the dining room and all the kids would be sitting around the coffee table and probably watching TV or something. And my grandmother would cook a reasonable amount. My grandmother was not one for, you know, she didn't, you didn't leave with a stomach ache. And it was a very sort of classic, multi-course, patient meal for the adults and uh, always a fresh pasta. And then, you know, a main course, the salad at the end. And my cousins and brothers and I would sit in the room. We would get whatever macaroni we wanted. And somehow my grandmother would make it like a short order cook. And then as soon as the adults were done eating, my grandfather, my dad, my uncles, the cousins, they would kind of kick us out into the yard and then they would watch football, baseball, basketball, whatever was going to be on. And my mom and aunts and my grandmother would sort of fix up everything that we had all ruined over the course of the afternoon. And we'd go to church in the morning together first and that was it. So it was not necessarily big. It was ritualized again. Go back to that. What about you guys? What was a normal Sunday for the rest of you? I've had macaroni every Sunday of my life for 45 years. <laughs> Except this Sunday where you got upset at me and told me I was very modern. Yeah, no, you know, I was like, you know, you're like Miss Italian America and you, you clipped your mother's wings. Your mother wanted to make macaroni and you put the, you put the fatwa down on the macaroni. I did. It's a fact. So shame on you. Really, shame on you. You're the mother of the podcast. You had macaroni and cheese. We had macaroni and cheese. You guys, I did a lumberjack theme for my son's first birthday. I never heard of an Italian lumberjack. She picks an, a lumberjack theme. I was like, we are also American, and this is the theme, okay? Then we had, hold on, I, I'm not done. Then we had to dress up like lumberjacks. How am I going to dress up like, what constitutes a lumberjack? Flannel? The hat? Yeah. I am sorry I missed this because I missed Pat wearing, did he wear flannel? No. No. He didn't wear flannel. no. Who wore flannel? Will you tell me Nikki owns flannel? Everybody was there in flannel except Pat. Do you own any flannel, Pat? No. No. I mean, what am I, where am I going to wear flannel? I mean. Pat did not dress up like a lumberjack. John, did you have flannel on? John didn't wear flannel. John, did you wear flannel? Yeah, under my jacket. Yeah, he had a jacket on, though. Does that count? I don't think that counts. Count. I mean, I had, you know, it was what it was. But I had, a, a red, I had the same red flannel shirt everybody had. But the baby looked cute in the overalls and stuff. Everybody. <laughs> Dolores' mother makes this famous duck I have never had. <laughs> and for years, the duck is coming. The duck is coming. They've heard of the duck, Pat. And I said, the first birth of the baby is going to be a duck. And lo and behold, 
There was no duck. That's like it's like a line from The Godfather. The first birth of the baby is going to be. Really, I said, you know, the, the yeah, I thought, <laughs> but the duck was not the baby. We'll get you that duck, Pat. Yeah, Demon, right? We're gonna do the duck. It's gonna, <laughs> you guys, it's gonna happen. But anyhow, I did not have pasta, but I I held back my mother for a lot, and then towards the end, I was so tired, and she'd worn me down that there was just. There was mozzarella with tomatoes. Hold on. What else did she want to make? <laughs> All I heard about was the macaroni. It, it just was like relentless. Like I could not get her to understand. But why did you have to get involved? You weren't cooking it. We oh. all would have benefited. Okay. But it was my party. It was my theme. Yeah, I catered and I cooked some. The theme. This goes back to Sharon's question about ancestral behaviors. Is exactly. it really your party? That's a whole other episode. It's a, it's a great point. She like could not... And finally, I was like, whatever. So there was like prosciutto and mozzarella and cheese and mozzarella and tomato and then a couple other things. And then the cookies, the desserts, I was like, make whatever you want. So there was you like, know what was really good? I'm glad you didn't cut out because then I would have been really upset. Was the roostishi. Your mother makes a good roostishi. I, I appreciated that. Yes. Those were good. Those were good in there. Know what yeah. they're like? Do you guys know what they are? Oh, I don't know. Does everybody know what those are? They can't answer. They're on mute, Pat. Oh, they can't. Well, wave. Put up one hand if you know. Isn't this terrible? This is like, Mark, send a signal, Mark. <laughs> Do like a YMCA. No, he doesn't know. He doesn't. Just tell him what it is. Rouge de she are, they were a, delicious. During the Bourbon reign, um, the rich people in the kingdom of the two Sicilies in Naples, they would use a sweet pastry dough, and they would use that and put savory dishes inside. That's where the timbalo came from. So good. The rouge de she, they're like... Um, it's like a pasta chutz shaped, like a, a cupcake shaped tin, but elongated. And inside is like rigotto, like suprasad, the grated cheese, egg. It's beat up, but it's in a sweet crust. And it's like one of my favorite things in the world. Me too. I really love it as well. Did you, did you let her make that because you knew I was coming? Was that- <laughs> Where I'm from, rustici are puff pastry dough and inside there's like meat and peas and stuff and they they sell them at like bars it's like street food mm. well in italy every other town the same word in yeah. two towns next to the, the different Sorry, this is not somebody asked a question and we went off on a tangent yeah frankie asked us what our sundays were like sorry frankie he didn't have a barometer for a normal sunday but right i know i think we all had different ones anybody have anything we did no, i had i had macaroni and meatballs and ribs and then I'd have a main course after that. And then I'd have pastries that came in a white box with red and white string. And my job was I had to untie the string and wrap it around a Dixon Ticonderoga pencil from Jersey City. Yes. Because it was recycled brajol string. <laughs> so my childhood was like rigatonis. And then sometimes we'd scoop rigatoni on it. Sometimes we wouldn't. Yeah. And then ribs. And then like a chicken or some kind of roast with vegetables. The two o'clock. A few weeks ago, I was, I was at my um, my sister-in-law's birthday party, and it was on a Sunday, and her in-laws are Greek, and her Greek sister-in-law, like, it was at the end, and she was like, do you guys do this every Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was like, you know, it was a birthday, so it was like a little bit extra, but like ours, like start with all the antipasti, especially at my mother-in-law's house. Like cooking is her life right now, so it's you know the mozzarella, the prosciutto, uh, the focaccia. She wakes up at five a.m. to make focaccia. Like wow. you wake up there, and the house smells like espresso and focaccia. It's kind of it's kind of awesome. And then uh, 
there's like all like there's olives there's all roasted vegetables and stuff or like the soft olio packed in oil vegetables and then um and then there's a pasta or a risotto or like a lasagna or something and then there's always a second course there's like cutlets or there's a roast with vegetables uh there are side dishes and then uh we have the uh fruit then we have the gelato or desserts or pastries or something then we have the nuts then we have the uh the digestive liqueurs then we have the coffee so there's a, a ceremony but that frankie but that's who we were like you gotta understand it was a whole culture like even on the holidays right like i associate fennel bulbs of fennel with the holidays me too me too because that would come after after like the meat courses yeah and before the fruit, you would put out like a platter of fennel, like raw fennel. Yeah. And we would eat the raw fennel to digest. But Frank, like I, like you never knew that people did this and I never knew people didn't. Yeah. I was like stunned with, I heard people didn't eat macaroni on Thanksgiving. I mean, our Christmas was your Sunday. So and your son, your Christmas was something I had. Yeah, no, I would say like the, the fennel, the fennel after the meal was a holiday thing. Would you agree, John? It's around Christmas. Yeah, you, rem- you remind me of that. I, we didn't have it on a normal week. Yeah. Or Thanksgiving. Yeah, Frankie, yeah, I wouldn't have it on a normal Sunday. That would be like Christmas. Yeah. But that would be like I'm choking. I can't eat any more. Brioski <laughs> comes out holiday. It's like a Thanksgiving Christmas. It's more wintry in my mind. I don't know why. Yeah, it is. It is. Dolores, did you eat it? Because you're yeah. not with on too. Yeah. It was around the holidays. Like Christmas and Thanksgiving, though, comes out. Ro, did you guys do it? Because you were about A's. Did you, did you have that fennel? We always have celery or fennel. Our holiday thing, our special holiday thing was um, the appetizer was always prosciutto melone. I love that. All summer long, I'll eat that. I remember my mom, like, walking around the table with the white paper, just putting the, the slices and, like, you know, around my gra- in my grandma's basement. That was when, you know, we would really pack 20 people into Nona's basement. So where you guys see that I film, when I film with Nona Romana now, it's in her basement. That is where we <laughs> had like Christmas, every holiday dinner. And um, like we would make the tables go like almost out the door practically, like in a big like you. So you wouldn't have the people wouldn't even see each other because there would be a wall dividing it. And like uh, while Sunday dinner's on, like my parents never had a TV in the kitchen, um, but like my in-laws do and my Nona does. And so while like you're eating you always have like soccer on in the background or rye or (laughs) something on and and it just adds to the whole soundtrack of the day frank my entire life as i look back my entire life revolved around food because i would get up and i'd have breakfast and my grandmother would say to me what do you want to eat tonight that's very southern italian it was like ordering on a cruise like you ordered for the meal and i came home for lunch in grammar school. <laughs> yeah, and then it was like, well, what do you want to have for lunch? And then lunch, what do you want to have tonight? Yeah. And then what do you want to have tomorrow? It was a con- every meal ended with planning. The next one. <laughs> you know, what, what do the Jews do at Passover, like next year, Jerusalem? It was like every meal ended with the, what? It, what, what is the next meal going to be? Tomorrow night cutlets. <laughs> yeah, tomorrow night, yeah. What do you feel like having tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, exactly. When I lived my Nona, I would be like in the shower getting ready to go to class and stuff. And she would like open the shower curtain. <laughs> like locks were not a thing. And she'd be like, 
what do you want to eat today? Like, can we have this conversation? <laughs> that's a that's a fundamental thing for I think all of us share is that like that sort of it's like Laura said, whose party is it? That overarching story of your family is just in everything you do. So. It, it's def- definitional. I think it really is. Yeah, for sure. I got to tell Frankie one last story. Frankie, I commuted to Seton Hall and my grandmother would give me a cooler of food for lunch. <laughs> Nobody could possibly eat the amount of oh cookies, sandwiches. <laughs> I would get a flask of wine in there because wine's supposed to make my blood grow. And I would be in college. <laughs> That's you know, this, kid I went, this kid I went to college with and I, I would give him half my food because I just couldn't eat it all, right? Oh and I fed God. him for four years. <laughs> and I like still reminisce with him about stuff because he ate the same thing that I ate. Pat, do you remember the first business trip you and I took to Chicago? Oh, the sandwiches on the plane? Yeah, you and I took a business trip to Chicago and I sat in one row and you sat in another and all of a sudden we took off. Because it was a quick flight, right? It was Chicago. Is a yeah, yeah, hours. yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I, I was reading my book and, I, and we'd only just become friends, but we were doing some business thing and I felt a tap on my shoulder and you said, what do you want, potatoes and eggs or peppers and eggs? And I was like, this is my brother. This is my big brother I waited for. I never had. So, um, all right, for the sake of time, because I know people have mornings and things and we're going to stay on to answer the last two questions Stephanie sent me. Uh, Kara, can we try you again? Take two. Come on, Kara, you can do it. Kara, send a signal, Kara, wave. We're rooting for you. How many times does it take to work a microphone? Kara, what's your question? Um, so I, uh, I think I came up with a new question while I was waiting. Nice. You know, I heard a lot of the same kind of questions, you know, and seen the same thing in the new neighborhood, like, you know, in, in the Facebook posts around people kind of feeling like they're, they're the one in their family, right? They're mm-hmm. like the only one trying to carry these traditions on. And, um, I had a similar but different experience from Janet, right? So I live in North Jersey, so I'm definitely not on an island when it comes to being around other Italian-Americans. But I think my um, sort of sense of being like the one trying to push this forward has been more generational because I find that you know, the folks from like my parents' generation are getting like really tired of, you know, keeping on with traditions Mm -hmm. and it gets cumbersome. And then my cousins and my friends that are Italian don't have, you know, this connection to their culture like I do. So I guess my question is like, how do you start to rebuild these things when they've fallen to the wayside? Like John, you Mm -hmm. mentioned um, when the salmon came out, right. And you were like, no, no, we're going to, we're going to go back and and rebuild these traditions. But when nobody around you seems to want to do it, how do you kind of start to build up that like love in other people? I feel like this is a good one for aunt. Not to put you on the spot, Aunt, but I do. All right, no, I mean, I, I think it's a good question. I think yeah. it's something that we all have to deal with. Like, I, w- I wouldn't say your family had, like, completely let it fall by the wayside, but you have definitely done, between the podcast and learning Italian and taking your family back to Italy and connecting with living relatives that nobody had ever met, including your parents, I feel like you've done a lot of that, like, bringing it back for everybody. I mean, I think the, honestly, I think for me, what kind of got me going on it also was the podcast because right. you have to talk to other people like that are in the same, you know, mindset. And this, so if we're interviewing all these people and they're talking about, Hey, you got to connect with your relatives. Like, you know, Lydia is telling us what she said that the table is the magnet that brings yeah, the family exactly. together mm-hmm. and that, you know, right. So like you have to hear this stuff from people 
and that has to get you going and then hopefully there's enough people around you that will grab onto it type of thing um but you know with that stuff like yeah like i brought my kids there they loved it hopefully that'll stay in their mind and they'll keep it going thankfully you know john got involved and helped us keep the podcast going and really take it on to grow it which again just you got to put yourself out there and you meet people and you make connections and things keep growing so i think i think the answer is like you may not find like one person or one thing that's going to keep it going but you got to get it going like you got to start it and then if you start it most likely and you keep going your other people are going to gravitate towards you that also have the similar mindsets as you and they're going to want to help you and they're going to want to do their own thing. And so I think that's just the way to do it, you know, and I think the worst thing to do is say, you know, is if you, you try something and it doesn't get traction to stop, you just got to try it again. You got to try it with someone else. You got to try somewhere else. And eventually I feel like if you try, you can keep it going. And at this point in time, really with this group right here online, you have a lot of people that you can lean on for help and inspiration and, even getting together with people. I mean, if you're in Northern Jersey, you know, you'll have to, we'll have to all get together in Northern Jersey one day. I know Pat's always up for that, right, Pat? North Jersey's paradise. We know it's paradise. <laughs> North uh, New Jersey is paradise. That's, yeah, okay. the, the great that Golden was State. Good. You know, <laughs> Dolores, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but Kara's question reminded me, and I hope I'm not sharing too much in such a public forum, but you and I were having a conversation about keeping things alive one time, and you said, you know, I'm the youngest, I've got the baby now. And like, you know, my family did these things when I was younger and your nieces and nephews are older. It's like, how do you, what's Angelo going to have when he doesn't have contemporary cousins, right? And I remember saying to you like, well, don't worry because I'm going to cook macaroni every Sunday. And if your nieces and nephews don't do it, you come by me, you know? And I always liked it. And I we came up with an advertisement that I really liked. We basically said, you know, sharing blood makes you related, sharing values makes you family. And mm. you do get to choose in some way. So definitely, Kara, I, don't, I think two things I would definitely say is like, don't lose sight of the sacred for the profane. So these things evolve. You know, you don't have to go back and do exactly what was done. Find the stuff that works for you and your loved ones and the people that will appreciate it. And, and the most important thing for me, which I really believe is, you can't keep traditions alive out of anxiety, fear, and, and, and tension around change. You keep them alive because of the joy that they create. And so that's so true. Check in you that it's something that you're doing out of joy and whatever aspects of our culture are the ones that give you joy, do them, do them consistently with joy, be patient, understand that it's new to people. And so, you know, it's like be, be the Brioski of the family. People will become infected by joy that they want to participate. So I like, I think about like my little cousins who could have easily grown up Medigan. They were born in the suburbs of New Jersey with no other Italians. And they would come to our house even after my grandfather had passed and my grandmother had passed. And I would play them the music that my grandfather and grandmother played for me as a kid that I found joy in. And we would sing Lou Monty and this and that and the other. And I remember my last gala at NIAF, my cousins would all come down to support me and be there. And we had the after party. And I heard somebody singing Pepino the Mouse really well behind me. I'm like, who's got this great voice? And I turned around, it was my cousin. And I thought, that he knows every word, you know, and that during quarantine, I taught my little niece and now she asks for the mouse, the mouse, the mouse. And so if you're joyous in doing it, I think it, it's infectious. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Advice. Yeah, I think it's just about sometimes you have to be the lighthouse, yeah. you know, and you have to accept that it, it is going to be you doing more than other people but it's worth it in the end you know because you it's no good if you are doing this stuff by yourself like you you want people to to join you so you might have to be the one having the pasta party and let's all make fresh pasta and let's uh let's make the wine this year let's do it at my house let's make the sauce this year let's do it at my house you know and you you, like a a symptom of of that kind of behavior is that you, you complain a lot but uh, like my mother, you know, it's always our house. It's always us. But um, <laughs> I think the payoff is just so, so huge because it, it impacts so many people. And it's really something that stays with everyone for so long. Yeah. I also think it's good to be a little loose with it in the sense that when I, I mentioned earlier that I, it's very important to me that Angela speaks Italian and understands Italian. But I'm also very conscious of the fact that you know, he could speak Italian and understand Italian until he's eight years old and then maybe not be around it as much and not speak it anymore. Right. You know, I can't control that. I, I, I could, or I should say the limits of my ability to control that are limited. Um, same thing with my nieces and my nephews, right? I can only do so much to keep these traditions going, but I just, I just feel like I have to just do what I feel like I need to do. And um, using Angelo and, and the language as, as a good example, sometimes I think to myself, if he doesn't speak Italian, let's say very well, but then he gets to be like a lot of the people I meet who listen to the podcast, he gets to be in his thirties and, you know, like Anthony, right. And he wants to learn. He will at least have somewhere in him, this foundation, this kind of like, like in his cells foundation and even if he just has a better accent than he would have had before, right? Because he grew up, yeah. he, he literally from the day he was born was listening to people speak Italian. Then that's something I gave him. Yeah. And I, you know, it's just like, you can't like, it's, it gets really scary. I feel like when we, like with anything, we just go too far into the future. But if we just, we're just throwing out seeds and just hoping they grow into something, yeah. whether we're here anymore or we're not here anymore. I feel like that's a good way to do it. And, and I think that people will remember you because so many of the people I meet, they remember their aunts who are no longer here, right? And they remember their nonas and grandpas who are, who are no longer here. And it's, it's their memories and spirits that inspire them now. Juwan, can I say something? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the biggest message i feel that we have failed in getting across is that these traditions are dying out in italy faster Mm. maybe than they as fast if not faster than here so i think that italian americans have this kind of shangri-la idea of italy it's like a land that their grandparents their great-grandparents left and that it's it's not you know maybe people are dressed dressed differently but that it's it's basically what it was. And I think things are dying out 
very quickly in Italy. I think there's, there's multiple factors. There's the modernization of society, which we have here. There's a global culture that's being built uh, very rapidly through social media, where there's the differences are not there anymore from country to country. They're really evaporating. Uh, Italians didn't have babies. So it's a country of a lot, a lot of old people and not a lot of kids. And, um, you know, depopulation, because, you know, especially in the South, the economic opportunities aren't there and people leave and traditions die. Because remember, one thing John and I have learned from being in Italy so much is that sometimes like through NIAF, we dealt with like really, really rich, sophisticated people. And I, I say that because they're the people that our great grandparents worked for. My God, that's they're the ones that they used to go plow the fields for. And they're totally different. Uh, Italian-American culture is not Italian culture. Italian-American culture is Italian agrarian agricultural culture. So like to get back to Frank, Frank, why do we eat so much? And I said this to somebody in Italy, um, a reporter, and she really laughed. She goes, you really understand us. I was with John. I said, the more money people have in Italy, the less food they give you. <laughs> So you go to, a, the, we, we were at a, um, a noble's house with a very high-end Italians. And I was like, this is it, right? Because like, they were very sophisticated. They weren't always starving. In the South, people had no money, but they had food because they grew it. So I can't give you a lot of money, but I can give you all the cheese you could possibly eat. And because it was constant starvation, the, the bounty was always there because people grew their own food. So the cheese didn't cost any money because I got all these goats and I'm making it all the time. Now in the south of Italy, people aren't making the food. People are buying it just like here. Right. And, and stuff is expensive there. And, you know, like my grandfather's family comes from a town called San Mango Cilento. And their patron saint is Santa Rosalia. And every year on September 4th, from time immemorial, they have what's called an opera sacra. And we could do a whole podcast on that. It's like a play about the life of Santa Rosalia. It goes back as far as we know. And all the young people have left. They left for jobs. They left for school. And they started out cutting out scenes, right? So then, okay, we can't do the whole play. So we'll do part of the play. And now it's like one or two scenes. And now this year they didn't do it with the, with the virus. And I think they didn't do it a year before. It's going to be very hard for that play to keep going. And, you know, it's very possible that play is going to die out. So if that would happen, I think if, if you had, a, say, an Italian saint society in the Northeast or, you know, Ohio, and all of a sudden that, that the Opera Sacra is part of their, their festival they did every year. Oh, it's dying out. It's dying out. Well, it's dying out in Italy, too. So we, don't, we haven't cornered the market on that. So to get back to what Kara said, you, you're, you're fighting for it here. And you have an equivalent in Italy who's having the same fight in their family. That's a great, great point. Yeah. Great point. That usually drops the great points. Thank you, John. Yeah, excellent point. He's right. All right, so we right. we are we have time for one more question. And Stephanie has sent me Chris. Are you here, Chris? I think Chris is here. Hey, I'm here. There he is. Chris, welcome hey. to the show. Thank you. I think he I think he's wearing a lumberjack hat. I got my <laughs> flannel on. Just saying. You set that up doors probably like <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm living in Vermont. I'm, I'm Italian American from Rhode Island, the other paradise. <laughs> I love Rhode Island. Yeah. Rhode Island's great. Yeah. I cannot tell you this. There's, there's two places in America. I fell in love with <laughs> one is Cleveland, Ohio. And the other one is Providence. 
That's yeah, great. Providence is great. Because it feels a lot like Jersey. The language is a little different, but the the <laughs> the uh, the feeling is very similar. So my question, um, little background is, you know, I've been to my ancestral towns a couple times. I brought my family, uh, reconnected with distant cousins. It's just been beautiful, beautiful reunions. Right. But I'm having a hard time continuing the connection with them. Um, so I'm just looking for a few ideas of how to continually connect with the Italian relatives, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from a distance that goes beyond just like a FaceTime call on Christmas and Easter, which is what we've been doing. But I, I'd like to try some some new fun things that, that honor our, our relationship. Okay. First of all, they want you to send them stuff. They want Nike. <laughs> they want all- <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you it works with my family. Yeah. <laughs> Where are they? Where are they from in Italy? Because they uh, they're they're from uh, Campania and uh, Molise. What town in Campania? Grazzanice. Where is that by? Caserta. Yeah, that that. If you go from like Rhode Island, yeah, to Stanford, there's all people from Southern Lot, which was really Northern Campania back in the old days. Yeah, but all from um, Frosinone, Caserta, they all settled along that coast. Yeah. Chris, do you guys you guys t- speak via like Skype and stuff on the holidays? You said, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like Fraser Crane. I like asking. Like we're we're we're. we're Chris, can I ask here. you? Chris, I'm gonna throw another question out too. I'm yeah, a, yeah. A, like a counterpoint to what I said before. My first cousins on my father's side about 15 years ago. All these first cousins of mine moved to North Carolina. I've seen their kids maybe three times in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And they were up here last Christmas to visit in-laws. And I was shocked the kids even knew my name. I was like, do you know who I am? I'm like your father's first cousin. And I don't know. I, I don't think it's any different than an American family. You know, families, were, like, when, when you live next door or in the same house with a relative, it's really easy to keep a relationship. Right. Or you lose a relationship depending on how it works. <laughs> if you're in the same town, it's one thing. But I don't think an American family that's split up transcontinentally so we're living halfway across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, any different than Italian relatives are living across the ocean. Because, you know, I, I said all the time, the biggest mistake we did was we traded in, we traded in, and I can understand, because I, I understand what the tenement houses were. Like, I, I remember them, and my grandma, I, I, have, I understand what's like carrying groceries up like six flights of steep stairs. When we bought comfort in the suburbs, we traded away family connection. I think just distance just weighs on relationships. Yeah. But I think it's, I think one thing today is if we didn't have so those kids only know who I am, my cousin's kids, because of social media and Facebook. So, you know, they get like, you know, a dance competition, they win a medal, you congratulate them on Facebook, you make a nice comment. That's the only way I can figure out they have any idea who I am. Yeah. That's a great point, Pat, because it's something okay. we talked about during uh, the episode we did when, when we thought this was going to be a few months of lockdown when we sort of listed our top 10 recommendations for things you could do with the extra time, which has since evaporated. But one of the things that I have seen in my grandmother's family, and again, it goes back to the same theme, if there's always one person. So maybe in, in your case, Chris, it's you. Somebody created a Facebook group to exchange photos and genealogy and you know stories and news, anecdotal stuff. And it's really taken off because you know, I remember... Um, my grandmother's same, my same grandmother's side, the, the side from Puglia was the only grandparent that I had that had never been back. And we took her to see her 
cousin for the first time as they were in their 80s, 70s, late 70s. And uh, my grandmother was so overwhelmed. And, you know, here's this family she'd never seen, she'd heard about. And, and my grandmother and grandfather didn't have any wedding photos. They'd lost the few they had or whatever. I think one got destroyed. And this lady pulled out a wedding photo that my grandmother's mother had sent to Italy. And now my grandmother had her wedding photo back. Yeah. And it, it always stood with me. You know, after all those, they've been married like 60 years. Um, so the idea that you, as Pat says, can get into this digital piazza and a great way to start in my mind is to, if you don't already have a complete genealogy, you know, set up a tree, set up a site, invite people to log on through emails and get as many members of the family as you can in the group and just ask them to fill in the gaps they know or correct things that are wrong or exchange pictures, scan them, take a snapshot with your phone and, and just anything to get them to put it in. And, you know, to me, that's been a great key to extended family here in Italy, like seeking out. And then people have to care. What's that? And people have to mutually care. It's like any relationship yeah. in life. Right. Yeah. If you're chasing people all the time and they don't pick up the phone, then how important, you know, and everybody's busy, but I think, I, I don't think I even on my Irish side, because my father's Irish off the, I mean, I'm first generation and you know, my grandmother's siblings, when they were alive, when people came from America, everything stopped. It was like the world stopped and their grandchildren. Now, again, I don't know if they know who I am. I, they're not going to take the day off of work to spend with me. If I went over there after their parents are gone, what would I talk to them about? Uh, we don't have any shared experiences. I, I, I think it's just hard. I think the one benefit is at least with social media, if you want to keep in touch with them, you have a chance that you're not strangers when you go there. Chris, have they ever come to visit you here? Yeah, they have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, that's terrific. That was it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. You're a million miles ahead of ninety percent of people when you think that's about true. It. Just maintain the relationship. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and, yeah. and they just keep saying, "When are you coming back? When are you coming back?" As soon as I can. Yeah. I'll tell you some on my father's side. My I had um Irish relatives. They're like in their twenties. These kids, and I see on Facebook they're in New York, and I live seven miles from Manhattan. I was like stunned. I was like, they didn't even like, like not listen, they're there with their friends. I don't want to pop a balloon and, and hijack their trip, meet any family. And I messaged one of their parents. I'm like, your kids are in New York. They're like, yeah, well, they don't really value family the way we do. Like they don't, I don't know how to say it. They don't. <laughs> they don't care about you. Yeah, but it was true. Yeah. It was true. Yeah, but they were hundred percent true. Those kids had no desire to see their Brazilian relatives over here. They were having a good time with their friends. And I thought, you know, the difference was years ago, they couldn't afford a hotel in Manhattan. Right. So years ago, they had to stay with That's right. they had no money. And then you know, point. they would come over and they'd have no money and everybody would give them a little bit of money and take them to a show or take them out to dinner. So their American vacation, they'd be one week with you, one week with you, one week with you, staying at different people's houses. Yeah. And the Americans had to take them out because they couldn't afford it. Yeah. And now they have the money and they don't, they, they, we're not needed anymore. That's a big difference, I think, too. Before we go, I, I do have a funny story that reminds me of this. My grandfather, May he rest in peace. His cousin, his cousin's daughter, my grandfather fought through his hometown during the war. I think most of you probably heard me talk about this on the radio. And um, to, to his credit, he hijacked a truck full of rations in the middle of the night and drove to his village and he gave out the food because everybody was starving. And um, he obviously got in a lot of trouble for it. But when he finally went back with my dad and my uncle in the 70s, all the little kids that he helped feed obviously remembered him, made a big fuss. And so his, his first cousin's daughter always felt a very close bond to him. So when I got 
to be around, she and her kids would come visit. And so I had a cousin, I don't even know what the math is, but she's probably 10 years older than me. So when I was like a 12 year old, she was a 22 year old. She looked just like a beautiful Italian, Southern Italian beauty. I mean, my friends always wanted to go to the pool with her all summer when they'd come visit us. That was our, that was our summer. Um, and so I, you know, I looked up to her and spent a couple of summers where they'd come here, we'd go there. And then as I got older and went to college and busy, my family all moved out of that town. And I guess we never really thought to share that with the Italian relatives because if they were coming, you know, we'd know and my grandparents died and they stopped coming. So one year I was living in Texas and I get a phone call, a frantic phone call from a guy that we knew who actually bought our suburban house from us. And he's like, John, there's a beautiful Italian woman at my door and she's saying your name. And so she'd come to surprise us. And only my oh, uncle was left in the town. Wow. Yeah. So for the oh, first like day, no. she had to hang out with this Medigan guy. And I'm sure his wife wanted to kill him because she looked like Sophia Loren. But uh, finally, my uncle went from a couple of towns over where he'd moved and picked her up. And uh, yeah, that was <laughs> so do let them know if you move. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's now been two hours of uh, what was intended to be an hour. So first of all, thank everybody Always. out there. Yeah, always. That's you. You just saw. Sure, I would have. Can I ask a question? I normally edit half of this oh, out. Gosh. No, you can't ask a question. Ask a question. No, we have to go to sleep. Yeah. All right. It's John's idea. I won't say it now. Okay. Why? What's the question? Go ahead. Do you think when this is all over, we should host an annual event? Yes. Like a dinner dance, an old school dinner dance. Or with corsage. Would people go? Oh, it'd be great. Sign me up. No, I'm asking the audience. I'm asking. I'm asking. Pat, if you're there, if you're there, everyone's going, man. They're all giving thumbs up. I'm going to unmute them all, and, and you guys could all say yes at the same time. Ready? <laughs> I don't know if this even works. Yeah. Would it. you guys yes. Would you guys all come yes. to an annual yes. dinner dance? Yes. All right. We promise to serve pasta and not macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Everyone has to dress like a lumberjack. <laughs> Joey Vitale. I wouldn't even touch it. Joey Vitale would run it. We'd subcontract it out. I would just show up at 7 o'clock with the tux on. Yes, you got to be black tie. With with your flannel pad. <laughs> lumberjack team. Yeah, I sorted the flannel. <laughs> Who had that? I get an invitation. And it, a lumberjack themed Italian first birthday party. It did not say Italian in it. It's, just <laughs> it's a lumberjack. You're the most Italian. Uh, and John looked like he was Canadian. I thought John was going to have maple syrup, a Mountie walking in with him, a beaver. What else do you find in Canada? Beavers. Next year's theme, the Borbone di Napoli. We're gonna, That's a good one. We'll dress him as the king. Yes. Yeah, we'll all eat Timbala. That's a good one. Next year's theme will be the uh, kingdom of the two sisters. Yes! yes! <laughs> Pat a and I can come in our uniforms. A Borbone? Make up for it. Theme? That's a, a birthday party. Like yes. Birthday. Let's let all these nice normal people go to sleep, please. <laughs> yes. All right, go home. You've had can enough. Do that? Yeah, just hang up. Just Everybody walk in the away. neighborhood, all of our neighbors. They're not normal if they're hanging out with us. It was great to see everybody tonight. Thank you for coming. All right, good night. Bye, guys. Good night, day. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your support. Thanks for being here. I shut this thing off. And to everybody listening at home, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. You have got the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italian.
If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life. 